Welcome to the NARPM Podcast, where we bring you the most in-depth look into the property management industry. We discuss hot topics with property managers, vendors, and those that support the property management industry. The National Association of Residential Property Managers is the recognized leader in property management. Our host is Pete Newbig, co-founder of Empire Industries Property Management and co-founder and CEO of VPM Solutions, where property management meets global talent. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are that of the host and are not necessarily those of NARPM. Now, here's your host, Pete Newbig. All right, welcome to the NARPM Podcast Show. And on this episode of NARPM Podcast, we have Monica Gilroy, founding principal of the Gilroy Firm. Monica is the firm's managing partner with 25 years experience practicing law. She remains an active partner in the litigation department as the focus of her national litigation practices include all aspects of real estate litigation, including property management issues, fair housing, foreclosure and title disputes, mortgage fraud, civil and commercial contract disputes. Basically, she's a badass attorney and she works for us, the good guys, right? I mean, how many ambulance chaser attorneys are out there for the residents? We need one for the good guys. And I believe she's also partnered up with NARPM. So she gets us and she's on our side. She's one of the good guys. So really looking forward to talking to Monica and we're going to go over all sorts of cool stuff in our, in our conversation. But before we get to Monica, let's get to our hot topic of the day. So my hot topic today is, should the owner have a single point of contact? So on outbound, there should not be a single point of contact. And inbound, there should be a single point of contact. So let's, let's talk about this. What does that mean? Okay, well... You can have your leasing team reach out to the owner and tell them about what's going on with their vacancy. You can have the maintenance team reach out to the owner and talk to them about their maintenance request, right? So if you are contacting, let's be honest, the owner could care less who's contacting them as long as whoever's contacting them is giving them valid information and is solving any questions that they might have, okay? So that's why I say that there shouldn't be a single point of contact, right? And when you're a property manager, you can say, I have a team behind me and me and my team, blah, 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 right? And so the team outbound, they let the owner know what's going on, right? But now inbound should be a single point of contact. So when the owner calls inbound, all those calls should be directed to that single point of contact. And you say, well, Pete, why is that? If everybody else has all this information, shouldn't he be transferred to the person that he needs to talk to? He's got a maintenance call so let a maintenance question let him talk to the maintenance department the challenge is that an owner never calls and just has one question the owner typically has a question about maintenance a question about accounting a question about leasing and they have multiple questions and so that that call should go to that single point of contact let's say it's your property manager the property manager should get that and the property manager should not have to answer all those questions right then and there the property manager should take notes and say i'll get back to you within 24 hours and actually schedule the next meeting with the owner so that then they can get with their team gather all the information get the answers and then 
that person now contacts the owner, right? So now you want that single point of contact contacting the owner because that owner initiated the inbound contact, okay? Now, you should always try to mitigate inbound calls. There's nothing worse than having an owner cold call. So when you can, you should try to have the owners always schedule appointments rather than just making a cold call. This allows your person who is the single point of contact, in many instances, it's the property manager, to schedule their day accordingly, right? And then they see, okay, Joe owner is scheduled a meeting about, you know, accounting the May's owner report and a maintenance, you know, the maintenance request, you know, that, that came through last week. And so now the person who's going to take that call can do some due diligence talk to the right teams and have all the answers for the owner on that first call versus getting all the information and then scheduling a second call. So outbound, multiple people, inbound, single point of contact is the way, is the way I like to do it. So we'll be right back. We have a great show. Monica is going to throw some crazy wisdom our way. This is one you definitely, definitely do not want to miss. Scaling your business means juggling many moving parts, leaving you wondering how to manage it all. How can you keep your eye on growth and streamline your operations? At RentBridge, we've created the Property Management Operating System, an ecosystem for property management marketing and process automation, where you can view and take action on the most important aspects of your operations, from sales and new owner onboarding to leasing, collections, renewals, and more. By bringing operations and marketing under one platform, you can have end-to-end visibility of your owners, tenants, and vendors from the first moment they interact with you, allowing you to add more doors with less effort and scale a truly profitable property management business. To learn more, visit rentbridgegroup.com today. Did you know that most tenants struggle to come up with a large sum of money needed to move into their new rental home? Let Renters Insurance Solutions help you solve this problem by giving tenants another option for security deposits. Property managers can make up to $200 per door annually with our programs. Learn more at our website, yourris.com. That's Y-O-U-R-R-I-S.com. Renters Insurance Solutions, your experts in property management and insurance. Welcome back, everybody. And as promised, I have the NARPM legal savant monica gilroy (laughs) monica so thank you so much for joining us so first just tell us quickly a little bit about you i gave a bio but tell us just a little bit about what you're doing right now and then how your relationship with narpam is as well because i know you're kind of you have a partnership with narpam correct yes absolutely and listen thank you pete i really appreciate the opportunity to come on talk to all of my narpam friends who truly we all know are like one big family yeah, as you read, I'm an attorney here in Atlanta. My practice, however, is national. I've represented property management companies of all sizes across the country for many years. But again, I'm a trial attorney by nature, Pete. So, you know, I'm the one you call when there's a problem. There used to be a joke. You didn't want to know me. But the idea with NARPM is that it's good to know me because I'm here to help you in your business to make it better, to troubleshoot, to prevent problems. In any event, something you know bad does happen, you're hit with a fair housing complaint or litigation, I'm here to help you in that regard as well. I am very honored to be the general counsel for the Atlanta NARPM chapter, as well as work as well on the national level with NARPM providing legal advice. 
And we're very lucky to have someone like you on our, on our team. You know, there's, there's, there's so many resident groups out there, but there's not a lot of property management advocates out there. So it's nice to have, you know, an advocate like yourself on, on the team. So I appreciate it. I so love let's, the industry. let's talk about some, let's talk about the three hot legal challenges out there. So we were talking in the green room and, and I said, Hey, what are the, like the three biggest, you know, challenges that you see all the time? So let's kind of go through them. You hit on fair housing. So let's talk about fair housing first, right? So fair housing, we're all scared as big, bad, ugly animal called fair housing. So what are you seeing out there? How do we prevent it? What, what are some of the best practices? Absolutely. And yes, fair housing is still really the number one area where property managers need to look out. It's really not a matter of if, it's usually just when, right? Uh, Department of Housing and Urban Development is still very, very active, right? Sometimes people will say to me, oh, and we have different administrations, does it make a difference? Not really. They're always busy. What changes is just what's their focus, what's important to them. As we know in our industry, still one of the number one or the number one type of claim folks will get is involving disability as it relates to emotional support animals or service animals. And I often, when I speak, refer everyone to that very wonderful directive that was released by HUD back now about maybe three years ago that really laid out almost in the form of like a find your own adventure How do you know what to do when someone says, hey, I have an emotional support animal or I have a service animal, and you're able to walk through the steps to determine what do you do? One of the biggest things I think, Pete, is that you've got to be sure to prevent fair housing that every single person in your organization, all the way down to your virtual assistants if you have them, or even the people that are answering the phone, if that's a virtual person, even if it's your your kid on summer break, you know, they need to understand if they're asked if they ask a question and somewhere in the the notes it says no pets allowed, how to handle someone who says, well, I don't have a pet, I have an emotional support animal or a service animal. That's probably the number one thing I think we need to do. If there is anyone working in your office who's answering the phone, they need to know what to do if someone says in a house or in a residence where it might be listed by the owners, no pets, how to respond to that if someone says, oh, I don't have a pet, I have an emotional support animal, or a service animal. So training is a big part of preventing those fair housing claims. So just a a shameless plug here, VPM Solutions just put out a fair housing course for your virtual assistants or for anybody that is part of your company that can take at least some fair housing coursework. Now, with fair housing, one of the challenges that that I've seen is like the local housing like has one rule, but then federal has another rule. Which one do we go by? What what would you tell us? That's a great question. You have to abide by both, but in the state that- like, What if they're like literally talking about doing the exact opposite? I was just going to say that, and that becomes a real challenge, right? There's areas on the West Coast, right, that you're like, wait a minute, what am I supposed to do? You know, we see this a lot when it comes to additional protected classes, right? In some areas of the country, it's considered source of income, which in essence means you can't discriminate against someone who has a veteran status if their funds are coming from the VA. I was teaching a class once, and someone raised their hand, and they said, wait a minute, why is someone intentionally discriminating against a veteran? And that's sort of I don't think people are, but that's the concern that's out there. I think, though, to your question, you've got to be sure that your policies are are dealing with both and can address both, right? On the national level, 
when we really look at what are the biggest areas, again, it goes back to disability, and then it goes into familial status, right, which is that idea of, of what is a family, right? What is a family to me is not the same as a family to you, and the fair housing laws make that very clear. Now, we often see that bump up, like you said, with the local rules, not even necessarily from the local or the, the, the statewide or the local fair housing offices. We even see this sometimes in the city ordinances, like how many people can be in a house, right? The best advice I can give is you just need to always ensure you're compliant first and foremost with your state or local municipality. Then you have to be sure you have that eye on the federal level as well. Most states or cities that have their own fair housing departments, which is very common on the West Coast, very common in parts of New Jersey, New York, not really up the whole east of the seaboard, but in those Philadelphia, Philly, Pennsylvania, you want to be sure you are, though, in those areas, really cognizant of what those, those local rules are, because those are going to be the frontline people. They're going to be much more interested in, in seeing the implementation and enforcement of those local rules secondarily to the federal rules. But you're right, it's a real challenge, which is why that's great. There's a class. We can never get enough training on this topic because it's ever-changing, and we can really learn best from looking at the other people who have gotten into trouble. I've told people, if you ever want to fall asleep at night, maybe give yourself nightmares, go to the HUD enforcement site on fair housing, and it tells you all the recent things that people have gotten in trouble for to see if you're doing any of those yourself. And obviously, if you are, don't. But, you know, it's just, it's really important to just stay constantly abreast of the ever-changing fair housing environment. It's really the number one thing you can do to avoid liability. So uh, I'll just kind of summarize. First thing is try to, if, if something, if the city versus federal or city versus state are, are telling you two different things, go to the lowest common denominator, basically the city, and make sure that you follow those rules. They trump federal in, in most cases. Yeah, say, yeah, they don't necessarily trump, but I think you'll have you, your first, the first person you're going to be answering to will be your local or state person, right? right? They're in theory supposed to be dealing under that federal umbrella, but there are many states where we have we're going to have listeners where they don't have, like in Georgia, we don't have that Equal Opportunity Commission anymore, that Fair Housing Commission we used to have. So everything, for example, in Georgia is straight from, from the feds, right? But yes, right. So you're, you're right. Start with your municipality and okay. then just work your way up from there. So start the municipality. Second is get as much training as possible and train everybody in your organization Right. Even your remote team members, which a lot of people forget about, because sometimes most of the time those are the ones answering the phones. And then you kind of hit it. ESA is a big one. And I know I've beat that one to death. I've had pet screening on here a couple of times. What is And so then you hit another one. So ESA and animals is probably number one. And then number two would be familial status in your in your opinion. When you look when you look at the type of claims that are out there. Yeah. I mean, disability by a mile. This right? is, yep, it's yep. all, all involving the pets. And, and that's right, been like that for like pets. 20 years now, right? Oh my gosh. The pet, yeah. the pet thing, if, if you all know by now, if you haven't seen my slide by now that says that it's, you're not a pet, right? Emotional support animal, not yeah. a pet. We need to pan that out. But yeah, the second, the, the two and three, three sometimes varies, but two of recent, I would say the last decade has been familial status, right? Where, of course, I have the infamous case here in, in Atlanta, where someone listed the, the condo as no children under 18. And obviously you cannot do that unless you're in like a, you know, 55 and older type, right, type situation. Documented 55 or older. And that case was a real bad one. I mean, a lot of monetary fines, you know, channel two chasing people down their driveways. You don't want channel two chasing you down your driveway. You don't yeah. want to be there. 
but it's the concept of turning people away because maybe their family isn't exactly what, you know, you're, and it's really not usually the property manager, it's the owner, right? Mm -hmm. And this comes in a lot when the owner may say, I don't want any gay couples. I don't want any lesbian couples. I don't want any transgender couples. Well, you can't do that. You can't do that, as we know, under both now the federal law, but also under our NARPM Code of Ethics. But that's, again, where that definition of family, you'd get hit. If you denied it, you know, two dads and their daughter, even if because the owner is because they don't want to have so, a gay couple there, that's still familial status. Right. So you would say that property. the majority of this is when we're leasing properties, is the majority of the times where we can get hit with fair housing that doesn't mean it's the only place so that's right making sure that you that you 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 advertise correctly within the guidelines you answer the phone within the guidelines and that you have a policy and a process that you do all the time no matter who's calling or who's uh who's reaching out is going to help prevent right. any claims against you that's right and i think what you just said a minute ago is the third topic and the third topic that we see a violation it goes in between sex, meaning, meaning gender, and race. And that oftentimes can come up during the tenancy, right? Now, yes, the majority of fair housing claims are at the time of application, but there has been a vast number of claims that have come up because of how someone is treated by property management staff. This is very true if you have an in-house maintenance company. There's been a number of claims made by women who believe they are being sexually harassed by members of the property management organization. Same with race, where we've seen individuals claim that, you know, repairs or maintenance is being done slower because of their race. And so you do still see those two kind of neck and neck as number three. But those are things that can come up during the middle of it. So it's just so important to constantly be always, especially as an owner, on top of what's happening in your company and also being sure internally that you have an escalation process when complaints start coming in. Probably that. You know, that and training with fair housing, knowing when to escalate when someone, one of your people have this problem are really probably two of the biggest ways you can prevent it from getting out of hand. So another takeaway that I had is, you know, you kind of hit on this. Do not let the owners make the choice. Right. So for those of you who say, well, the owner can make the choice. You know, I've always said our job is to is to have qualifications around what we what we will and will not take. And they have to be kind of, you know, based on federal fair housing. And then we make the decision based on our guidelines because we are still, we still have our fiduciary responsibility to the owner because they're, they're based, based within the guidelines of, of the property. All right. Yeah, so, I mean, two, two, yeah, two big takeaways there. Obviously, everyone knows I'm a huge proponent of property managers being in charge of everything because you're the professional. If we're ever in court at the end of the day, which hopefully we aren't, yes, I'm going to take good care of you, but judges routinely will look down, not at the owner, but at the property manager and say, you know, ma'am, sir, you're the, you're the professional in the room. You were there to give guidance. And, and then secondarily, just that idea of, yes, being sure that your qual any of your guidelines, whether it relates to onboarding or how you address maintenance calls, is absolutely neutral, right? Again, we usually use the example of onboarding as your criteria should be based on things that are facially neutral. Numbers don't lie, right? Look at their credit score. Look if they have a history of eviction. Look at how much they make. Look at how much they make, right? Things that basically won't matter what the color of their skin is, their gender, their national origin, none of the defining factors, none of that comes into any of that. I'll put a little side note onto that and say, but for that very 
hurt your brain concept of disparate impact that we've talked about since COVID. That's probably another topic for another day. We won't go too deep there, but base overall, right? The more neutral you are looking at your qualifications and in your policies will prevent you from from losing in a fair housing case. Because Pete, the reality is we're still in America and we're gonna talk in a minute about people suing, even if it's wrong, but we have the right to sue, meaning we have the right to defend. So, you know, you can't, you, you've got to be able to assume that you can def- always prevent, I mean, I'm sorry, prevent your fair housing, but also if you get one, how can you defend it? And your best line of defense is always going to be showing, look, here's how I always do it. This individual who's claiming this problem is it wasn't treated any different. The policy and the process. Yeah. What, and, and one of the, I've been sued a handful of times when I own my property management firm. And the interesting thing is, you know, when you try to do something nice for somebody, you know, like no good deed goes unpunished. And I've always been sued by the resident first. And then when I'm fighting it, the, the owner joins in. And he ends up suing me on the other side. So, so you have to be careful. And that's why you don't want to have your owners, in, you know, your, your, your owner clients strong arming you and telling you how to run your business. This is why we're at, at NARPA and we're so adamant about you run your business. And if an owner's pushing you to do something that is not correct, you need to get rid of that owner. All right, so we'll talk about kind of the the process, what you should have after we hit kind of the other two. So, so the next hot legal challenge, let's talk about squatters. A lot of people are doing these self-showings. I actually have a lot of people let now saying they will not do self-showings because of squatters. So tell us a little bit about what, what these people actually have rights. Like, break this down for me because I yeah, don't get it. Absolutely. Yeah, it is, it is probably the number one topic of the summer, right, and even going into the spring. And we're seeing it all across the country, even in states where you wouldn't think that it normally would happen. So this is not happening in your backyard. You are not alone. The concept of someone being called a squatter, right, in every state, there isn't really any such thing as a squatter. We use that term sort of loosely to describe somebody who has you know, come into a piece of property and just sits there, right? But the real term for them is a trespasser, right? In virtually every state across our platform, right? They are trespassing. The current scheme that's occurring across the country is pretty similar. It's one of two ways they're getting into the property. One, you're right, is through the self-showing. The second way is even more nefarious. They're literally seeing Mr. Property Manager list 123 Main Street for rent, we're catching them on ring cameras going in in the middle of the night, breaking through back doors, re, you know, getting in, and then early in the morning doing whatever. It's usually, it's usually two parties involved. It's usually the person who has broken in and then the person that they con into going into the property. Sometimes it's the same person, but yeah. usually because it makes it harder to, to, to deal with the authorities, it's the bad guy breaks through the back door, comes in, then meets you know, Miss Sue on the street the next morning and leases her the property for a cash payment. They then disappear. You're the face with how do you get Miss Sue out of the property? And that's where across the country we're seeing different tips and tricks and some frankly complete failures of our of our system to not help us get people out as fast as they could. Yeah, I know in twenty twenty one of the big things that, that we started doing was watermarking all of the photos because oh, these smart. scammers were taking photos from the property manager company, putting them in on Craigslist, leasing it, 
you know, for a thousand dollars less than what the, what the market and people fall for this all the time. And, you know, I've, I've seen, like, we've literally had moving trucks coming in while, while we're leasing the property. Like, what are you doing here? Like, Oh, we leased the property. Like, no, I'm sorry, you, ma'am, you, you got, you got scammed. And I feel bad for those, for those folks, but. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No. And that's, and that's sort of the problem is that, you know, we've had to, we've had to almost resort of recent to almost like homegrown efforts, right? I spent some time a couple weeks ago with some clients and they were talking about just little things they're doing, like getting laminated signs, almost like you'd see in a hotel that they're putting in the kitchen that basically say, this property is managed by ABC property management. You should only be getting communications from this person, this email, this phone number. If you are not, call us immediately, right? The ring camera was another client I had who went through a series of these to the point where the, the fastest thing that he was doing was having those ring cameras placed so that literally when they heard the chime go off right at two in the morning, they were able to either get down them themselves or get the police there fast enough the police could see that it's actually a trespasser. The problem we're facing though across the country is twofold. One, police, sheriffs, you know, municipality officers are coming in and misunderstanding the situation and will say oftentimes this is a civil matter it's not friends a civil matter right this is not a tenant who has a potential right to be there fighting with their landlord this is someone who is a stranger to this property a trespasser who has come in i don't care that this third party victim right is the person that's there they're still a trespasser our municipalities, our police, our sheriffs, they're not learned enough about our industry. I mean, let's face it, that's probably the number one challenge we face as an industry is people just, it's so finite in what it's, and it's so unique, people don't understand it. So I've been seeing across the country efforts to try to educate the city council, the police force, anything to try to get them to understand, look, please help us. This is, you know, Mr. Owner, this is his property being, you know, basically, just criminalized by this individual. You have to help us out. We couple that with across the nation, just the incredible delays and backlogs we're seeing across all the eviction courts. Because oftentimes folks are for, being forced to file evictions to get them out. Be sure as a tip, regard, you know, obviously consulting with your local attorney or your local eviction counsel to ensure you're including not just you know the name of, of a person who might be there, but if you say John Doe, be sure you say something like, and all other occupants and residents, because you want to get to court and be able to be like, I have no idea who that lady is, but I know she's in there. You don't want that to stop you at the end of the day. The other self-help thing a lot of people are doing is looking at their criminal trespass statutes. Here in Georgia, we have a statute that we're trying to beef up a little bit to see if that will help us. But at the end of the day, you are very much at the mercy of whoever responds to that call. And that's why these self-help things like the cameras, the notices, I've had some people go in with cash for keys offers immediately to these people and just say, look, you know, you know, I'll give you a thousand bucks to get out. You actually may spend less money at the end of the day. The last thing I'll say, and then, and then, you know, we can, we can keep going is it's really important to you to always remember when you're talking to the police or talking to your, your local officials to remind them that this isn't in the interest of you, the PM, this is your owner, right? Our owners are our true victims here. How many owners do all of our people listening here have who might be retirees, people where this is all of their income tied up in these houses, people who are having to pay mortgages while their property is not being rented for the amounts that they have. Those are the true victims. Those are the people who are not being protected 
ultimately when these squatters come in. And that's the message we always have to get across. Not like, oh, it's me and I need my money. No, no, our owners who we represent, they're the ones being truly harmed by these criminal activities. I would say one thing too is here in Houston and Texas, we have constables and uh, I, get to know your constables. Great. Yes, you know? absolutely. Get to know absolutely. them because they will do a drive-by and you can educate them and you know, talk to them yep. and, and give them real estate advice, whatever you got to do to, yep. to, to get the, uh, to get, you know, that a closer relationship. Advice. And, you know, and, and I say all the time, you know, like, like when we go to Washington to advocate, you know, we have to be the voice for our industry. And so, yeah, you've got to get it out there and explain again, look to your local laws, but just these self-help things that, are, that people can do to help prevent it. You know, I do know I have had a number of conversations with the, the, the self-showing folks. They are very concerned about this. They, too, are taking great strides to be sure that they are not, you know, that they are helping everyone in this industry to prevent that, because we know that there's a lot of good that can come from that. It's just that when we factor in these bad players, it's just, it's very frustrating because it's, it's, yeah. it's just we have so much already that we face every day. We don't need these jokesters, too. You gave me a good idea to get, get a couple of those guys on the, on the Narpen podcast and talk about this more. Yeah, so, I've had numerous conversations. They're very committed to this because they know that, and they know that technology constantly changes, right? I mean, like you said, the watermarking back a few years ago, everything is so sophisticated with how people, you know, can scam their way into property. Yeah. So, so just to, just to kind of put a bow on this, they're not squatters, they're trespassers. It's not a civil matter. It is a criminal matter. Try to do what you can to prevent people from squatting or, or trespassing in your in your place, which is a ring camera, notifications everywhere, watermarking, things of that nature, and and then get to know your your constable and try to educate your your constables that you're not you're not a big corporation here. It's somebody's you know it could be somebody's you know in you know full investment, and so exactly awesome. Yep. So should we have a What's the first thing we should do when we see that though? Like con contact the constable and then like, do we have to get an attorney involved at that point or is it just- No, you no, no. This is where the power of your citizenship, the first call is to the policing authority, your constable, your, mm -hmm. your city police, your sheriff, because even if they come out there, right? And they, for some reason, let the trespassers stay, right? You have, you have major police reports. This is also important for your owner because what if that individual, that trespasser, while they're in there, Damages the stuff. interior. Yep. Yeah, it happens all the time. That is, that's right. And that is a real covered event under homeowner's insurance, right? When someone comes in and vandalizes your home. And so that might be the saving grace for like your investor owner, you know, some little individual person, where even if they can't get rent for that period of time, they may be able to file a claim. Um, is that under, is that under vandalism? Would that be vandalism? Yep. It's like vandalism. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So it's, it's no different than if I broke into your house, and started, you know, doing things and then left with your oven. You know, I mean, it's no different than that. But yes, your first call should always be to the authorities. And obviously, I urge caution with safety first. You have to assume that these people could be dangerous, could right. be armed. That's why it is always appropriate to go to the police first mm -hmm. and at least have that initial knock on the door. Be, you know, be with a, a safety officer to be sure that your safety and that of your staff is not compromised. One more little tip on that. I had a client who was going, to, who was sending out just junior people. This is not where you send out junior people. This is where you go, your senior people go, um, or you, you know, even bring with you somebody who, you know, would be protective if there was a situation. Safety always first with yourself and your staff. Okay. So call the police on the insurance thing. We you make sure that your 
your investors have the right insurance because a lot of these folks will live in the house and they move out and they don't change their insurance from their regular homeowner insurance to the you know to to the investor home insurance and then typically vandalism is typically an extra rider and so they they should have that because i got caught up on that one i didn't have the vandalism (laughs) rider and it cost me thousands and thousands of dollars so just a couple of tips there when you're talking to your 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 owner clients all right so the last one is near and dear to my heart and i made you talk about this one i know mold is not everywhere in the country so if you're like in minnesota or you or alaska you probably don't have much mold here in houston it grows everywhere and i personally i'm I'm pretty i'm an open book i've empire was sued i think three times for mold right so so this is near and dear to my heart here so let's go through this okay Mold, by the way, is is not insurable. So you don't get actually sued for quote unquote mold. What I got sued for basically saying we were negligent. Right. right? So exactly. so take so take us through this because there are there are residents. So you can see I'm getting fired up. My I will let you talk, I promise. <laughs> uh, there are residents that literally go house to house to house and claim mold. And it's kind of like their way of business. Like they literally have a business on this. They, they're just nefarious folks. So, all right. So let's talk a little bit about mold. And I sure, promise absolutely. you. I'll... Yeah. And, I, and I, I get you and I feel you. Here in Georgia, we have a law firm that are called the mold attorneys. No lie. And that's <laughs> what they do. They find people who want to claim mold. So if we go back, we know the first thing about mold. Is oh, the mold the attorneys are for the residents, huh? Yes. Oh, they my goodness. The residents. I know, right? It's like they're, they're like ambulance chasers for, for mold. It's, it's what makes the lawyers get the jokes, right? It's bad. So, yeah, they're called the mold attorney. They are there to help you as a tenant who's been affected by mold. So, yeah, you know, obviously as property managers, our first response always has to be it's not mold, it's mildew, right? That we can't immediately concede that it's mold. But mold is something that we find across the country probably as the number one source of litigation outside, of course, of stuff like, you know, stealing money, which you're all going to, that's, no one's going to do that here. But yes, with mold, you're, it's your, it's your reaction that sets the tone, right? Mold claims become bad for property managers when we don't take them seriously and act appropriately. So again, as is the recipe kind of in any ways to avoid liability, have a response mechanism. Insure, you know, uh, tenant complaints, I have mold in the bathroom. This should not wait, right? Send somebody out, right? If they're saying, I have a two-month-old baby and it's coughing up blood and there's mold, maybe go a little quicker, right? Read the room, right? Know what's happening, right? But get someone out there to take a look, do your own potential either testing or even just remediation, right? You should be able to look and say, okay, what's that? If based upon your own internal criteria, people should be removed from the property, right? Then that is something that you just need to do. I often will hear, oh, my owners are so cheap. They don't want to put them, you know, into a hotel while we fix this or whatever. Look, it is far cheaper to put somebody into the Holiday Inn for a few days and to hire a lawyer to have to fight with all of this. Because you're right, not all of this is necessarily covered by insurance. The other times people get sued, it's not just under a negligence theory, but it'll be breach of contract, right? The tenant will say, you didn't give me the quality of the house you promised me in my lease, right? But yeah, with mold, your reaction is the, the best determiner. Treat it seriously, listen to them seriously, and assume that it could be, yes, mold that requires remediation and action. Don't so here's, here's one of my big, here's one of my biggest challenges. Here's one of my biggest challenges, right? They claim mold, right? 
we, you know, I think as a property management, the first thing you could do is like, let them out of it. Like, Hey, you can get out of your lease. We'll give you back yeah. security deposit. We'll even give you some money. Right. And of uh-huh. course they don't want that. Right. Say so they never take, they, they, so they don't take that option. So I have one person take the option once I released the house and I never heard about mold ever. Right. So I, I feel these people are literally trying to create a, you know, they once they claim mold, 99% of the time, they're trying to create a case against you so they can sue you. And here's the deal. It's going to cost you sixty dollars to $80,000 to fight any kind of, of claim, especially if you don't have the insurance for it. And your insurance company, when you do have insurance, they know it's going to take sixty dollars to eighty grand to fight this thing. And so what do they want to do? They, they, want to, they want to just plead it out. And so these people are looking for quick money grabs, Right. So, right. So what do I need to do to make sure? So you said, okay, let's act really quick. So I go get a, do I go send my maintenance guys first or do I send a mold special? Like, what would you tell, tell, what what do you tell your clients? Like, you know, Hey, if I'm running a mold, Monica, what do I do? Like, and I know you're not a mold specialist. I get that. But like, as an attorney, I get it. I know I, I, the, when, when mold became the hot topic many, many years ago, I actually had way too many cases in it for both individuals and property managers. I have about three actually going right now, but yeah, send your, send your regular repair people out first. Send your maintenance folks out first, let them photograph it, bring it back to you, right? You're going to know pretty quickly what you're dealing with. For example, I had a case many years ago where the tenant started complaining of having problems when we came in to look, there had been a huge leak under the washing machine that obviously, you know, we hadn't, we hadn't found nor was reported. We'll talk about that in a minute because the lack of reporting is critical when it comes to defending a mold case. But just what you said is the perfect thing to do. If it looks like this is going to be a serious situation or something that's going to require a lot of displacement, right, for the tenant, absolutely what you just said is best. Offer to terminate the lease right then, give them their security deposit back, pat them on their back, and send them on their way. Some will take that, then you have others who are going to say, oh, no, I want to stay here. That is when one of Monica's number one rules comes in, which is documentation, right? Dear Miss Tennant, this will confirm that you told me on May 3rd, after I told you you needed to move because of mold, that you wanted to stay in the property with all of your things. Hugs and kisses, property manager, right? Because someone staying, once they've complained, shift the legal burden over to them then as to why are you like like think about if it was our family why would we choose to stay and put ourselves at harm's risk right so that's a huge thing if somebody wants if you somebody somebody won't leave i have many clients who have early termination clauses that they can invoke as the pm and with that many times they will invoke that just to try to even further lessen the amount of exposure these folks have that is a very big legal defense though to say look you know, Susie, the tenant, wanted to stay after she was complaining about, you know, <laughs> coughing and mold. The second thing, which is our big defense, which I have in all the pa- cases. Pause there I real quick. So sure. so make sure uh, if you listen to this, that it's not a property manager from their email doing it. Because if that property manager leaves a year or two down the road and you have to find that email, do it in a support ticket. So if you have a main support ticket, create everything in one place to easily find it. When I got sued, I got sued two years later and I had to go find stuff 
and it was impossible. And so it's a nightmare. It's a yeah, nightmare. it's a nightmare. But yeah, that's that's advice you can get. Yeah, do it all within your your system that you're using because then when it happens, you're able to just say to the lawyer, your lawyer, hey, I have everything. Here's where I told her, look, if you know, if you stay, that you know, that's gonna be a bad thing. Because remember, with mold, if it truly is mold, right? If it's truly the stachybotrix, the back the bad black mold that causes the, the problems, right? When you do remediation, the spores go all into the air. So that is why, not jokingly, they put the white coverings over everything and they take things out and wear you know, protective coverings because you're breathing it in. So if someone is staying during remediation, they are choosing to expose themselves to a very toxic event. The second best line of defense in a mold case, without question though, is when did they report it? And I have a case going right now where Attached to these people's complaints, right, is a 125-page, I don't even know what we would call it, just like horror show of photos and problems and all this stuff. Guess the first time was when we saw that horror show book at the time of the lawsuit, right? Yep. So yep. The, old, the old axiom, like for parents, right, is I can't, or even for bosses, I can't fix that which I know is not broken. If I don't know there's mold, I can't fix it. I can't address it. And the courts will see that as an absolute defense to, if you never reported this, how, how are we supposed to know it's here? So having your, having very good, like you just said, reports of maintenance calls, right, to show specifically what was said and what was done is a lifesaver. It'll, like, it'll win the case in this one situation with this big booklet. It'll win the case because we knew nothing. And when we did find out, we acted. And that makes all the difference. So main thing is don't, if somebody says the M word in your, in your business, you change it to mildew, fine. Yeah. But if you have virtual assistants running your maintenance coordination, which many of us do, and somebody puts in that mold word, that should be a trigger. And your policy should say that goes to level two and it goes to your property manager. And the property manager who's not handling all these maintenance requests should own that maintenance request or yeah. maintenance supervisor, whatever, whatever your level is, it shouldn't be the I one agree. that's handling all the maintenance requests, right? So for example, yeah. at Empire, we had 200 plus maintenance requests a month, okay? That my team could not handle the high escalating ones correctly. And this was a mistake that when I look back, I, I made this mistake. So do as I say, not as I do, if you're listening to this, that should get escalated. And the person handling that should only be handling a handful of escalated work orders. And they're the ones that make sure it gets completely documented. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that again, not only documentation, but escalation, absolutely the way to prevent and limit liability because the quicker you respond, right? And what your response is, again, like I said, that sets the tone for the whole thing. The other thing we forget sometimes is you've got to let your owners know which, what are going on, regardless of your management model, whether it's owner, landlord, or PM landlord, you have got to, if in fact you determine it is something that is going to cause potential liability, let your owner know right away with this one caveat. Let them know that have an internal policy as to do you allow them to then take over the, the, the repairs and the maintenance or do you keep your finger on it? Have an, Well, actually the same case, the case of the big policy manual, right? There, the owner stepped in and did some repairs that we were not aware of. And that, you know, is another complaint these tenants had was, look, you know, this owner didn't do the repairs properly. Now, in most of your PMAs, you probably have limiting language that says, if an owner decides to do some maintenance for not responsible, 
probably upholdable, probably something that the court will permit. But just again, you're the professional in the room, and your reaction makes us such a difference. I'm but not yeah, a big I'm, yeah. I'm not a big fan of the owner taking it over because when you when you get sued, it's you, not the owner, or both, and you get put into that lawsuit, and you have no control. So I'm a big yeah, I don't, fan. I don't of, like letting the owners do any. Honestly, I just yeah. feel like I feel like in our society, it is better to try to keep as much control as possible. Mm-hmm. And then if you have situations too, because we've had that where an owner refuses to do the right thing, that was one of the other mold cases we had. The one with the washing machine, we fired the owner, and we said, "Look, this is going to lead to bad stuff." We fired that owner, and then the owner got mad later, and he sued us, but we won, showing that what we had done was was correct. Yeah, yeah, I'd much rather deal with that case than than the yeah. mold case. So uh, right. is there in, is is there some type of insurance that you would recommend that the property management company have to make sure like they can be that this case could be defended by the insurance company? Because the last thing you want out there is I, I got hit with a million dollar lawsuit. I didn't have any insurance like it was oh, very stressful. Scary. Yeah, it's very yeah. scary and stressful. So how do I have that security blanket? with when I get this this deal, right? I'm gonna reach out to you and then we're gonna talk. We, like, how does that process look like to make sure that the insurance is gonna defend? That's a great, that's a great question. The first thing you're gonna to wanna to do is always start with the owner's insurance, right? And you wanna make it clear that, you know, you are, you are bringing this claim um, pursuant to the property management agreement where the owner says his insurance is gonna cover you in the event of this type of lawsuit. Now, your point is correct. There are many insurance policies across the country for homeowners that won't cover mold. They may cover internal water intrusion, right? We know that usually nothing but flood insurance protects you from water coming from outside in. But if it's something inside, that may be covered under an internal water leak such that the ultimate, remember, mold needs water to live. That's food. So that's one way to do it. However, I also recommend folks placing their own errors and omission insurance on notice as well, Especially if it, obviously when it goes to a lawsuit, with the stage of a lawsuit, you've got to let your insurance companies know in a timely fashion. You've got to let them know what's going on because you can't always know for sure whether the owner's policy is going to actually cover you. Some do, some don't. But again, usually our our you know things uh, policies, yeah, they'll cover negligence, but they're not going to have a specific this covers negligence due to mold. And then usually what we find is there's also a breach of contract claim. And here's the thing, sometimes breach of contract claims are covered by your insurance where a lawyer is hired, but they don't cover any judgment that comes out of that. So, you know, the problem with our insurance policies in general, and I remember Eric Weatherington said something about insurance a long time ago, but, you know, you really have to just read your policies carefully and kind of like getting to know your constable, get to know your insurance folks, because they there are, you know, products out there that might further give you protection, but always try to double stack the owners and then yours as well. Yeah, I think that you should, you know, you should, I hire an attorney first to make sure that I got all my documentation correct. Then I talk to my insurance broker, if you would, to make sure that he wordsmith it so that we then would send it to the insurance company. Yes, and that's, I do that all the time. Yes. And that's a very, that is one time when having counsel help you is definitely. It's look, it's a, it's a few bucks. It's not a lot. Right. But then like, cause once the insurance takes it, because the main the name of the game is to make sure you're defended by the insurance. That's the name Correct. of the game. That's so what you want, right? Exactly. Hi, hire the attorney first to do all the leg to do a little bit of legwork so that we can make sure that the the insurance will defend you. So That's right. uh, so if anybody says mold, escalate the work order to the the, the to your 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 
property management team, hopefully property managers are not overwhelmed. If your property manager is doing all your maintenance requests, then that should go to you in theory. Because if somebody's handling a bunch of maintenance requests, I promise you things are going to fall through the cracks. So this needs to put a bright light, shine a light on it. Somebody has to take complete ownership. Then offer them to get out of the lease, put that in writing. When they say, I don't want that, make sure you put that. If they don't give it to you in writing, make sure you write that in writing. Put everything in one ticket. What happens with mold a lot of times is the, the resident will put in 40 tickets, right? Every day they'll put a ticket in. The best thing to do is just merge all the tickets to one master ticket. So if you can do that, then all of the notes are in one spot. And if you're using something like property meld, everything is date stamped and time stamped. Every, every conversation, which is going to be important. Then send somebody out there to, to assess it. So this is one thing I did not do. I learned from you just today, Monica, is that go in and take the photos first and reevaluate the photos or you go yourself to see what's going on. What I did is I would just send my maintenance team out there to handle the mildew. And that was a mistake, especially if there was multiple leaks and people kept complaining. And then if you do get served, hire somebody like Monica and get with your insurance broker to to review everything and make sure that you wordsmith it correctly so that the insurance will defend you. And prior to all of this, before a claim comes in, review your policies to make sure like that you will be defended. One of the things that we had trouble with, Monica, maybe you can help us with this, is my owner would actually become adversarial. And so in two of the three cases, my owner was adversarial because he didn't want to call his insurance to deal with it. He didn't, he didn't want anything to, to, to deal with this. And he basically like threw us and then, and then ended up suing Empire on top of it. So now I'm getting sued by, 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 both, by both individuals. What, what are the, some of the best ways to smooth it over? Because I think a united front owner plus property manager will have a much better success rate in, in defending. So what are some? Yeah, that's a, great, that's a great point. I will tell you that in probably 95% of the cases, though, I recommend owner do have separate counsel for property manager, not just yeah. because owner may get hostile to property manager, but because property manager may need to remind owner, look, you promised to indemnify me, right? What I normally do is if it comes in through my property manager, I take an assessment. I usually have an initial phone call to see, is it possible for us to all stay together? Sometimes it can be, but there are times when it just can't be. What I tend to do then is get that owner over to one of my friendly colleagues, right? Somebody who I've worked with for, you know, I practiced for 30 years, get somebody who I'd known for 29 years, so I can say, Jim, I'd like you to come into this case knowing that Jim is going to talk turkey with me before he says, you know, Monica, we want to see the pants off a property manager, right? So you want to be sure that your attorney understands that, that there could be, you know, differing interests from that regard. But you are correct. You always want to, from the very beginning, be a, a united front as much as you possibly can. In fact, that's the example of that other lawsuit with the washing machine, where when it was becoming apparent that we weren't, we said, well, we're out, you deal with this mold situation, which we, which ultimately protected ourselves. But if you're all named in the suit together, yes, be kumbaya, try to be together as much as possible. Right, but with separate still counsel. in the back of your head, but mm-hmm. still have that little bird on your shoulder saying, but we got to be careful in case we got to go this, we have to build a cross claim where you would cross sue or cross claim against your co-defendant. So, but yes, always trying to be the United Front and also information sharing. That's why I recommend at the beginning of this, 
bring them into the loop, right? If it looks like it's something that's escalating, and I love your idea of putting all your notes into the one system. You cannot document these situations enough because when you're taking notes, they're contemporaneous, right? I can't remember what I did yesterday. So right. how am I going to remember? What I did really a year and a half ago. Day, right? Yeah. So you, right. The more you document, the, the easier it is to defend these cases and win. So we're up against it, but I can talk to you all day, but I, I want to get this. I, I got to ask you this here. So indemnification, right? It's like everybody says, oh, well, you know, I have this indemnification clause in my property management agreement. And so like they take this laissez-faire attitude, like it's not, it's not really bothering me. But if you get sued, you know, like for breach of contract or you get sued for, you know, um, not, not doing your job, so to speak, and, and it, the words escape me right now, like th that doesn't indemnify you. Right. And, 100%. And, a, and, a, and a decent, any attorney worth their weight in salt is going to sue the management company on breach of contract or, or things that are not indemnifiable, so to speak. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. Like that's, and you know, that's, yes, you're exactly right. Is that there's going to be many times where, you know, we think this concept of, oh, we can indemnify, you know, we can, we're going to, we're going to be indemnified. That's like our, our, our hall pass, but that's not necessarily true. That goes back to what you just said a minute ago as to are we friendly? Are we together? Or is that owner going to be like, what were you doing, Pete? You know, what, where have you been? Why did you not respond? So, yeah, you have to really be very critical of realizing that you can't just sleep in a warm blanket every night with indemnity. Indemnity is sort of what you make of it, right? Indemnity could be really great, but it could be not at all if you haven't done what you're supposed to do. Great point. Right. Indemnity is uh, you basically are begging the owner to do something and he won't give you the money and you're too scared as a property manager to spend his money because he may not pay you back. Right. And so yeah, that that's where right? that's where you fire somebody and then they have the indemnification clause. And then you say, hey, Mr. Tenant, let me help you. Right. Uh, well, it, that's what happened in the washing machine. Case. It did. Exactly. Yeah. We, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Tenant reached out and, you know, we were very careful how we answered. But, you know, it was, you know, it was clear that the responsibility by us firing that owner, the owner was now in charge. And then the owner refused to do certain things and got into all sorts of trouble, tried to come back on to us later. And, you know, one of the things in that case, one of the defenses was they kept saying, well, your website says you're going to come in and, and inspect, you know, the properties. And the judge basically looked at this lawyer and said, sir, is the website attached to the contract? You know, like what, what do you don't look to that website? And right. it was, it was a, just a good example, again, of not being afraid to make a decision, because ultimately all those decisions were correct, you know, by doing what you're by doing what you know is best as the PM. That's what got my PM in that case. Actually, we won attorney's fees in his favor in that case. Again, nice. the owner. Monica, I'll have to get you back on because we're up against <laughs> it. We're going to take a quick break and then we're going to do the lightning round. Yeah. Maybe, maybe I'll have you back on and we literally just decipher a case and go over step by step. I love that. And, yes. We and sure uh, that. we can get really into the nuts and bolts. Half the, half the, half the, the listeners would fall asleep and get into a car accident and the other half would be <laughs> riveted and, and be, you know, in a, in a <laughs> so I love it. Absolutely. Anything you need. I love it. Yeah. All right. So let's take a quick break and we'll be right back after this and then we'll be the lightning round. All right. Take a quick break. Create the best move-in experience for your resident or homeowner. Citizen Home Solutions is a utility concierge service designed to assist with services needing activation prior to moving into a new home. Our experienced team will help eliminate the stress of setting up services. No more calling a long list of service providers to get everything connected and ready for move-in day. 
your client will value the white glove service provided on your behalf. True, Citizen Home Solutions assist with utilities, but more importantly, we create an experience that your client will appreciate and love. Our service is free and offers you a revenue share program. Want to know more? Visit pmcpartner.com. Have you ever considered hiring a property management virtual assistant but didn't know where to start? Or have you tried hiring a virtual assistant but you weren't satisfied with the number of qualified applicants? If so, VPM Solutions is here to help. VPM is the world's first virtual talent marketplace dedicated specifically to property management and real estate. We have thousands of talented virtual assistants ready to work for you, including assistants for accounting, leasing, maintenance coordination, rent collections, and much more. With VPM, you can post jobs, screen candidates, hire and pay your virtual assistants, all from within our state-of-the-art platform. VPM is the easy button for hiring and managing your virtual team. And the best part? VPM Solutions is 100% free to employers. That's right, free. No placement fees, no employer markups, and no hidden charges. With VPM, property managers get the talent they need while reducing costs and improving customer service. Visit vpmsolutions.com and create your free account today. PestShare, a pest control amenity for your resident benefits program, starting at just $5 per door. You can give your residents the pest control coverage they need. PestShare will even pay for the expensive infestations like bed bugs and cockroaches. End the debate over who pays for pest control, while PestShare turns an expense into added revenue. For more information, check out their website at pestshare.com forward slash property managers. All right, welcome back, everybody. We're going to put Monica Gilroy in the lightning round. Monica, are you ready for the lightning round? I hope so. <laughs> All right. Does pineapple belong on pizza? Yes. I liked you for a little <laughs> bit. What was your first job? Selling shoes. Really? Okay. Yeah. How what? much of an answer do you need in the lightning round? No, like that's good. Audience? No, that's good. Okay. If you want to expand, you can. You don't have to, though. Okay. What is one piece of advice you'd give someone just starting out in business? Oh, don't do it. <laughs> what is your ideal vacation? Oh, Hawaii. Beach, books, cocktails, laying there doing nothing. What is something that most people don't know about you? Oh, gosh. My dad is a scientist. He is a paper scientist, and he is in the International Paper Hall of Fame. That is awesome. There is such a thing in Appleton, right. Wisconsin. <laughs> All right. If you could have dinner with anyone alive, who would it be? Anyone alive? Uh, 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 anyone alive? Hillary Clinton. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> She's still Just interesting. Interesting life. Interesting. Could ask her all the bodies are buried. Just kidding. Just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> Which Disney character do you most associate with? Mickey Mouse. Nice. I'm the boss. I'm the lead. <laughs> <laughs> What's the biggest challenge you're currently facing in your business? Oh, that's a really good question, actually. My biggest challenge is I'm at a point, what, what to do at this point in my life, because I've I'm got two seniors, rising high school, rising college seniors, and I'm trying to look at these next 10 years where I've got to maximize my profit to get these kids finished with school into their early lives, and then what's that going to look like for me in that next time? So I'm really doing some soul searching and realizing that I need to do what I love to do, and that's things like this, 
working with clients I love, but really trying to keep an eye on that balance of what it's going to look like in this next decade for me. All right, last question. Would you prefer dogs or cats? Dogs, even though I have two stinky cats. <laughs> Sorry, cats. <laughs> Little uh, white, small, fluffy dog. That's uh, what I threaten to get when the kids go off to school is a small, white, fluffy dog. <laughs> Monica, if somebody is compelled uh, to, to reach out to you, how, uh, what's the best way to get, uh, get in touch with you? Yeah, the best way is just through my email, which is my name, monica.gilroy at gilroyfirm.com. Email is always best. Be sure to note in the tagline that you're a NARPA member, that you heard the podcast, and happy to help or get you to one of my team members to help. Again, our practice is national, and we can help in many ways, and are always here for NARPA, and we just love everything that it does and just always thank them so much and you too Pete for the opportunities it gives me and my firm and Gilroy is one, one L right G-I-L-R-O-Y yep, G-I-L-R-O-Y. yep. yep. like I, Gilroy California if you're from there I don't know I didn't know you guys were national that's great <laughs> yes, to know I, I, I'm very I am very lucky to have throughout my career had a number of national clients that have allowed me to create a network of attorneys and because of that I've appeared in court all over the United States and with fair housing that can be answered out of anywhere. As long as you know what you're doing, you can answer it. And we've been doing it for many years. Used to serve as fair lending counsel for SunTrust across the whole nation. So that is I've, great I've, to I've know. I've enjoyed that national practice for a long time. And if you want to take the fair housing course that VPM has, or you want to learn more about virtual assistance, go to vpmsolutions.com. You can create a free account on VPM and you can take that course. There's no fee for the course. And anybody in your organization can also take that course. There's no fee for that course. We also have about 12 Property Management 101 courses. And if you want to reach out to me, uh, best way is email. You can tell that Monica and I are around the same age because we do email and not TikTok. It's Pete <laughs> at vpmsolutions.com. And if you're listening to this and you're not a NARPM member, why not join? Go to NARPM, N-A-R-P-M dot org or call the good folks over there at 800 800- Seven eight two three four five two. Monica, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Pete. It was great. This has been a production of the National Association of Residential Property Managers, the recognized leader in property management, along with your host, Pete Newbig, CEO of VPM Solutions, where property management meets global talent. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are that of the host and are not necessarily those of NARPM. If you have a hot topic you'd like discussed on the podcast, please email us at radio at narpum.org. 